Hello. Um, I welcome you again to another episode of the Islamic Dilemma show. In our previous episode, uh, myself and my distinguished guest here, uh, Bill Warner. Bill, how are you? Good, good. We uh, talked about a very sensitive topic relating to the status of women, and basically we uh, showed example from the Quran that uh, women, and specifically married women uh, in particular, are not uh, basically protected or even considered to be equal in status with men. Today, uh, we are going to continue uh, along the same line of discussion, and uh, the hope is to cover uh, you know, additional passages and verses found in the Quran uh, to prove one point. Islam did not improve the status of women, period. Isn't that the truth, Bill? Well, if it did improve their status with what we see now, I pity them for what they had before. But this is very strange because we know from the Sirah, Khadija was an independent businesswoman. She proposed marriage to Muhammad. And so when you look at what we have in the status of women that came after Khadija, it's not clear to me that they improved her status at all. And Khadija, of course, is Muhammad's very first, first wife. wife yes. uh, that he, she actually proposed marriage to him. Exactly. As a matter of fact. Exactly. So that's something that goes completely against mm -hmm. at least the understanding of the marriage proposal under Islamic teaching and the culture. Um, uh, last time we finished by discussion, our discussion talking about divorce and remarriage, and we right. uh, mentioned something to the extent that uh, in chapter two, verse two thirty uh, of the Quran, if a woman is to re marry her husband who divorced her three times, then there is an unfortunate condition that has to take place, and that's the fact that she must now marry another man, sleep with this man, then that man must divorce her, and then when that happens, she can freely go back now to her previous husband. Now, we want to talk about what happened usually after a husband divorces his wife, whether once, twice, or three times, whether he wants to bring her back or at least someone else wants to marry her. There is what is called the prescribed period of waiting, basically. Uh, apparently, uh, the Quran uh, stated that uh, a woman must wait for a period of time. Originally, it was waiting for a whole year to remarry, and then Muhammad basically abrogated that and came up with a period of 40 days or at least three months. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, three months, basically, uh, to wait after divorce before they are allowed to remarry. I have in front of us here on the screen the passage, or one of the many passages in the Quran, but this is a, a very important passage uh, for some obvious reason that we're going to point out right now. It is found in chapter 65, verse 4. This is what it says. As for your women who have despaired of further ministrating, and we apologize for this kind of language, but we're trying to share at least the teachings of Islam. After basically they have uh, went through their monthly uh, period for a period of three months, as we mentioned, then they are allowed to marry. But then Islam gives us the description of who are these women. It gives us certain status of these women, categories if you wish. Mm -hmm. One of them will be just a woman who just was married and got divorced and she's waiting to get remarried again. Another status has to do with women maybe who do not have the period anymore. They're past that stage. They still need to wait for three months. Right. But then I underlined a very troubling, uh, troubling passage. 
It says, and those who have not menstruated as yet. Bill, do you know what it's talking about? We're talking about children. We're talking Pre about children, yeah. exactly. Uh, young women who have yet to reach the age of puberty. Exactly. As a matter of fact, this is not unique uh, in terms of its teaching because the Prophet of Islam have actually did something similar by proposing to a young girl who was six years old. Six years old. And married her when she was nine. He was in his 50 at that time. Mm -hmm. And she is the daughter of his close friend Abu Bakr. Exactly. Her name is Aisha. And, and we she did was talk one about of his... Aisha before that she's one of his favorite Maybe. wives, mm -hmm. basically. So what Islam is teaching us here that not only women have no respect whatsoever in terms of treating them as human being, we are talking about uh, what we call child pornography here in civilized countries. Because if you are caught as a male with a woman in many laws under a certain age, let's say 18 or 17 or whatever the age might be uh, under that specific law, you can be in a world of trouble. Yet Islam is stating that you can even marry them if you want to, even if they're as young as 9 or 10 or 11 or 12. I mean, when we read the verse yet, it just says they haven't reached puberty yet. Theoretically, I suppose it could happen even at a year. I don't know. I mean, there doesn't, there's no lower limit set in this verse. But no matter, even if it's, say, six or nine years old, uh, this to me is appalling. And, and what appalls... And, and on equality, how could a, a six-year-old Aisha be equal to any adult male? Absolutely. And, and you know, what's what so appalling to me is, is the fact that... Uh, if this is a standard, then how come we don't see it all the time? I mean, do you know that if, if, if a, a man in his 50s will go right now to any Islamic family and propose to marry their daughter who is 18, mm -hmm. not even 9, mm -hmm. they're going to laugh at him. I mean, it will be absolutely a laughable proposal mm -hmm. because it's culturally just not acceptable. Mm -hmm. I mean, the age difference is just something that is astonishing sometimes. Does it happen? Of course it happens from time to time. But is it a, uh, something that happens every day? Is it something that is a standard? No. So that makes you wonder then, if the prophet did it, then how come everybody else, when it comes to this area, is not willing to follow his footsteps? Mm -hmm. For obvious reasons. That this is something that is completely weird and awkward. Well, when you think about it, aside from some sort of what I will think of as strange sexual ideas, what would you want to have a wife for who's not even reached puberty yet? I mean, in equality between a man and a woman, here you have a man who's 50, a girl who's nine. What do they have to talk about? Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about a very, very sensitive issue uh, right now found in chapter 65 of the Quran, verse 4. This particular passage is so troubling that uh, oftentimes commentators uh, on the Quran, classical Muslim commentators, try to soften the blow by at least trying to harmonize its meaning. However, most of them are honest enough to indicate that this verse talks about specific categories of men that have to wait to get remarried, including women who have yet to reach the age of puberty. I mean, as a matter of fact, Bill, we're talking about remarriage, which means that they were married before. Mm -hmm. 
And, and that's even more troubling to me yes. when you think about this. Another thought I had when we were talking about, I remember there is a hadith, a tradition, that Aisha was allowed to bring her dolls into the harem. Exactly, exactly. And that the Prophet of Islam would allow her some time to play with her doll, and he would play with her like a father would play with his child. Mm -hmm. That's his wife. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, we have on the screen right now some uh, statistics that Bill have developed for us. Bill, would you like to tell us uh, the meaning of this one, which says the statistics of women in the Quran, for instance? I'm a scientist. Love math. I love statistics. I love facts. And what I have done is that I've gone through the Quran and I've taken out every single verse, which basically means every sentence that in any way relates to women. So we'll have, if you will, and I divided, all, once you've extracted all of these verses that relate to women, I then put them in four piles. Sometimes there's a mention of a woman, and it has nothing to, it's, it's almost in a passing way. It doesn't have anything about her status, all right? Just women in general. Just women in general. But then I put it in three other piles where a woman has low status, equal status, and high status. Give us an example of a low status, for instance. Uh, well, I think we've just been talking about some so things. So similar about, to what we covered. Yeah, that to okay. me is low status. When what you're about saying, the high status? That is unique. In almost every case, it's the mother who is exalted as greatest among humanity. Only as a mother is she elevated in status. And I want to really emphasize the fact that, indeed, when you study the status of a woman as a mother in Islam, truly she has a special status. Mm -hmm. But you have to wait until you get to become a mother in hope that your status will become even better. But, you know, culturally, when you look at this bill, I mean, you find this everywhere. Yes. Among Hispanic cultures, yes. uh, among the woman the has European cultures, I mean, uh, Asians... A mother is always, you know, treated this way. Well, why not? I had a mother. I loved her. She took care of me. This is natural. So Islam hasn't really brought anything new, basically. No. I mean, honoring the mother, we should all honor mothers. Then we have equal status. Now, Define e equal, for instance. I mean, are they exactly equal? Well, on Judgment Day, a man and a woman are judged equally. So this is a futuristic thing. Yes, in the future. On Judgment Day, they will be equal. But, as we Americans say, there's a catch-22. Or, read the fine print. Because one of the things she will be judged on in her equality on Judgment Day is how well she obeyed her husband. And we know from a hadith that Muhammad said, I have seen hell, and the majority of its occupants are women. Why, Muhammad? Because they were not grateful to their husbands. So, so much for equality. In fact, I want to add to what Bill just mentioned, that Muhammad's complaint about women says that if it wasn't for Eve, that men wouldn't have probably gotten in a lot of trouble that they uh, keep getting in when it comes to lust after women. So, he's blaming Eve for something like this, and he's also blaming Eve for the fact that the majority of women are uh, indwelling hell, basically, which, if you read it the other way, what he's saying, men actually, will, majority of men will be in heaven, majority of women will be in hell. How does that make you feel as a Muslim woman, knowing that your prophet believes that you are the source of evil? In fact, 
we are going to deal with that topic pretty soon here after uh, the break. And, and by the way, that particular hadith, let me add before we break, also he went ahead to say not only there are most of them in, women in hell, but he also went ahead to say that they're less in intelligence and less in their religion. Well, uh, Bill, these are a lot of uh, <laughs> labels that uh, definitely don't make anyone feel comfortable. They don't uh, make me feel especially comfortable. Especially when we're talking about a status of a human being before anything else, that somehow because her gender is different than another gender, all of a sudden now a religion called Islam gives itself the right to try to di dictate where she falls on that scale. Subjugate is the word. Now, here is my challenge. I know some people will be upset right now in stating that why am I picking on Islam? Well, we're not picking on Islam, as a matter of fact. I tell you that Islam dictated that we pick on it. If Islam <laughs> didn't tell me that it is the final religion, mm -hmm. if Islam says, you know, I'm just a religion, you know, you're free to do whatever you want, then I would analyze other religions and say, okay, you know, well, Islam is special, it's unique. If you want to follow it, that's your choice. But when you dictate your ideology on me, when yes. you tell me that your Sharia law is the law that must be followed, when you tell me that you are commanded to be supreme over mankind, that your message is universal, that you have improved the status of women, and yet we look at statistics like this. In fact, if you would elaborate, it looks like 71% of the status of women is not that pretty at all. No, <laughs> not at all. So much for equality. And by the way, let it be said here, this sometimes when you talk about Islam, someone will say, we've well, taken it out of context. Let us be clear. The context here is the entirety of the Quran. And this is everything that this deals with everything, women, basically. It, yes. So the context is the absolute wholeness of it. There's not an escape here. Well, Bill, uh, hold your thoughts. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, uh, so far uh, in this very interesting show about a very sensitive topic uh, that deals with women and their status in Islam. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue our discussions. Pressure slowly building. An explosion that shocked the world. A coastline forever changed the oil impossible to remove nothing could destroy it until the source was found until that source was sealed to uncover the source of islamic terror read the quran dilemma islam unplugged well welcome back to uh, the islamic dilemma show uh, my guest Bill Warner uh, and myself uh, have been discussing a very uh, disgusting topic, as a matter <laughs> of fact, and that's the fact that women in Islam are not treated equally at all. In fact, they are treated like objects, that they are uh, demeaned, uh, demoralized, and also they are considered to be a less status than men, and not just a tiny less status. We're talking by far. Mm -hmm. In fact, we looked at one of your statistical slides and it shows that 71% of all passages in the Quran prove that women have a lower status. Mm -hmm. and, and we haven't even scratched the surface of this. Everything, there's so much material in the Quran about women. 
Right. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, my hope is that uh, uh, as time progresses that we will do more episodes that are specialized in maybe one topic at the time uh, when it comes to women. Uh, we're moving on to another slide of yours, Bill. And this time you took the hadith mm -hmm. and you did the same analysis. Tell us more about this. Well, I took Bukhari. I don't want to get too technical here, but that is the major most authoritative collection of Muhammad's hadith. And before we proceed further, I want to mention to our audience, uh, in case they uh, were not following us in the previous uh, episodes, that hadith is basically the collection of all of the sayings of the Prophet. And uh, some Muslim scholars believe that the sayings of the prophets are also divinely inspired, mm -hmm. basically. So, in other words, the Muslim person uh, better really follow them if they want uh, to earn good deeds. Right. Okay. Uh, and I did with the Hadith exactly what I did with the Quran. I went through the Hadith and selected out every single tradition that related to women. And again, I put them into four piles. One pile is, yes, a woman is mentioned, but it's just in passing. It doesn't really tell us anything. Then a pile in which the woman is superior, equal, and then in low status. And if anything, in the Hadith, it's worse. Because at least in the Quran, only 71% of the verses are about low status. In the Hadith, it's 89%. 80, yeah, that's... And we have the equal status on Judgment Day, but we've already covered that on Judgment Day she will be judged how she submitted to her husband. And then high status as a woman, 0.6%. I almost thought it was zero, but uh, well, at least there was something no, no, in there. We, we, I give fair credit where fair credit is due. And again, let me emphasize, this is the totality of Bukhari. Don't come in with some one hadith and say, well, see, this hadith is good. I've included it. Good point. Now, I want to go back to the previous uh, slide. Just I want to show something very interesting. If we go back to the previous slide, which is the status of woman in Quran, you're going to notice that looking at this slide, looking at the bar chart, it's this, they're almost identical. So yes. if we look at the Quran and we look at the Hadith, they're almost identical in look, not necessarily in percentage. Yes. So in other words, this really confirms our theory that in order for you to understand Quran, you must understand the life of the Prophet and vice versa. So this is indicative, really, yes. of what Muhammad's been yes. doing, saying, and teaching. And the Quran is a reflection of all of that. Yes. It is very coherent. It all lines up very nicely. It all fits. Absolutely. And uh, what's going to happen now is I am going to spin this uh, in a different direction. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been at least talking about uh, the status of women in general, and we talked about their status uh, in marriage. We talked about uh, their rights as a wife uh, and how the fact that the husband have the right to be not only superior over them, but also beating them. Mm -hmm. uh, if he even have a slice, uh, a slice of suspicion, I should say, against mm -hmm. them. And, and then we talked about uh, what happens in terms of divorce, uh, remarriage, and, and the, 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 the teaching that uh, she must be remarried to another man, and then the uh, prescribed waiting period, uh, which in chapter 65, verse 4, we read something that is really troubling and alarming, the fact that it talks about young girls who have yet to reach their uh, uh, ministration period, basically. In other words, they, uh, they haven't even reached a, uh, a puberty uh, or right. the age of puberty. And, and then uh, we looked at your statistical charts. Mm -hmm. I would like now to focus maybe on one or two specific 
areas that the Quran talks about when it comes to the status of woman. Bill, I'm not so sure really if you knew that the Quran actually does not really have a high view of women in terms of their mockery, in terms of their trickery, in terms of their plotting mm -hmm. uh, ability, and in terms of what they call uh, their scheming ability. Right. Uh, we're looking right now at a passage uh, found in chapter 12, verse 28. The chapter 12 called the chapter of Yusuf or Joseph, Joseph basically. Yes. So uh, the name is indicative of the fact that it talks about the story of Joseph. Yes. In this particular passage, verse 28, it is talking about what appears to be similar to the biblical account, although it's not exactly the same. Uh, as we know from the biblical account that in Old Testament in the book of Genesis, that Joseph was working for a master called Potiphar, mm -hmm. and his wife basically uh, uh, tried to at least entice Joseph to have a sexual relationship exactly. with her. Now, the Quran took that story, of course, and added some uh, more details to it, uh, if you want to call them details. Mm -hmm. and, and it says that uh, the woman who was trying to entice Joseph to have sexual relationship with her actually was being teased by her friends. And they were wondering, why does she want to have a relationship like this with a slave who is a servant that is working with her at her home? And she apparently, according to the teaching of the Quran and the story, invited them over. Right. And she wanted them to see for themselves the kind of man that he was, that he was so beautiful, that right. he was worthy of all of her efforts. Yes. And then the passage tells us that Joseph basically uh, ran away from mm -hmm. their attempt also to seduce him. And then the husband of this woman, apparently discovering what was going on, made a claim against not just his wife, but all of her friends. We read this in this verse. It says, so when he, meaning the husband of the woman, saw his shirt, meaning the shirt of Joseph, apparently he wanted to run away from them. They grabbed him or she mm -hmm. grabbed him from the back. So that got his shirt cut off or ripped, mm -hmm. torn. Mm -hmm. at the back, meaning that this proved to the husband that Joseph is innocent mm -hmm. because he was running away and someone obviously was right. trying to grab him from the back. Nevertheless, he still was sent to, uh, went, sent to jail, which is, I'm not so sure why the Quran is trying to get into these details anyway. And then it says that the husband says, surely it is a plot of you women, not just his wife, mm -hmm. all of women, certainly mighty is your plot. Now, the Arabic word can also mean is your tricks or as your schemes mm -hmm. now so far we're reading about a story that took place apparently four thousand years ago exactly now i'm not seeing anything wrong so far in the husband being upset and right. making such a claim stating that you and your friends are really uh you know basically people of a mighty scheme okay mm -hmm. do you know bill that when you read the commentaries on this particular verse, actually the commentators are convinced that this label against women applies to all women at Today. all time, the entire race. Right. In fact, it says that women basically are mighty in their trickery because they do it in a soft and a subtle way that they cause men to fall into trouble all the time.
In fact, I looked at a number of those commentators, and I wanted to basically analyze the trend. Mm -hmm. The story took place 4,000 years ago. Islam was revealed 1,400 years ago, so about 14 centuries ago. Okay? And then you look at some of the commentators, like Al-Zamakhshari, 12th century. He insists that this applies to all women. Al-Razi, the 13th century. He agrees with everybody else so far. And a highly respected scholar. Al-Qurtubi, another highly respected scholar, 13th century. He also agrees that it applies to all women. Al-Jalalain, 14th century, another respected scholar. Yes. It applies to all women. And then we have a scholar who lives in our time, the 21st century, Al-Tantawi. He also agrees that this claim about women applies to all women even today. Mm -hmm. So there has been a consistent uh, approach in terms of interpreting this verse. My problem is this. Why do we have to label women in such a way for something that was done 4,000 years ago? Didn't Islam improve the status of women? Good point. I never thought about this. <laughs> That's something I want really to address to a Muslim woman who is watching me. Whether you are originally a Muslim woman born that way or you're a convert to Islam, please help me out. I am troubled. I do not understand why are you being blamed for something that was done 4,000 years ago by a person that have died back then that she attempted something that you yourself have nothing to do with it whatsoever. But of course, that's really telling of how the prophet himself claimed that most women are going to be in hell because of what Eve have done too. Mm -hmm. So he's taking it even further. Yes. Now we're going to take a look at also another troubling passage. Not only the trickery of women are is mighty. In fact, the Quran compares it to the trickery of Satan. Mm -hmm. And it says that tr trickery of Satan is weak. Yes. Those commentators that I just mentioned, and they are just a sample, by the way, of the many commentators that you will read in that verse, always say the trickery is very mighty compared to the trickery of Satan. They're what does worse that than mean? Satan. That's exactly what it means. <laughs> They're Women more evil are than worse than Satan. In fact, they make Satan look like a child. Exactly. That's what Islam teaches. Satan could learn from a woman. Ladies and gentlemen, does that sound to you that Islam have improved the status of women? If it did, where in this passage do we read this? We don't. Well, Bill, this has been really something that I have struggled with <laughs> all along in trying to explain to myself, nevertheless explaining to anybody else uh, who is a female about the status of women in Islam. Uh, you know, uh, I can imagine if, if I was a Muslim person today, what exactly would I tell my daughter, for instance, if she comes across a verse like this, that it happened 4,000 years ago, but that's not what the Sharia is teaching, that's not what the law is teaching, that's not what the Quran is teaching, that's not what the commentators are teaching. All of this material we're talking about is carried forward into current Sharia law. This is not ancient history. This is not old stuff that's gone behind. It is active today in Sharia courts. Absolutely. And you know, Bill, once again, we are unfortunately running out of time on this very interesting topic. We'll do more. And my hope that we definitely, we will continue to dis uh, address 
uh, this very important topic, and, and it's really on my heart because I want Muslim women in general and convert to Islam uh, who are female uh, to please, please take a close look at these kind of teachings. Be honest with yourself and examine those references that we are providing to you and even examine the original sources if you are able to read the Arabic language. Our hope that you will take these teachings and begin to do a quick check whether Islam have really improved your status as a human being before anything else mm. or uh, specifically as a female. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you so much for joining us today in such an important topic and in, uh, joining us with our episode. Please uh, look at the uh, address, the website that will be shown on the screen. Uh, send us your questions and comments and suggestions. Until then, uh, may you have a mega blessed day.